Welcome everyone to this episode of the Perfect Bar Podcast. In today's episode, uh, it's actually the first episode of season three, which is incredible to think about that this is the third year I've been doing this podcast. Uh, you know, thank you to everybody who has joined me as a guest and continues to listen. Yeah, I, I really have a good time recording these episodes and I hope you're able to enjoy them listening. Today, I have quite an awesome guest who was on the podcast last season as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Bo Meredith, thank you for joining me today. Of course, thanks for having me. Yeah, so last year we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, it was, uh, just as your, uh, I guess, final full season of junior golf was starting and kind of your goals you wanted to achieve and, you know, some tips and you know, we had a really good conversation about that. But you have, um, I think that was episode five last season season two episode five i think it's right around there go back check that out it's a great episode uh but today i kind of you know since then you've signed with georgetown which first off congratulations on that thank you and you know that's quite quite an achievement so i want to go over a little bit of you know how that came about uh along with you know recapping your 2021 season and you know recapping junior golf as a whole, you know, since you're really kind of at the tail end of it. So I guess we'll start with the the 2021 season, um, you know, in a few sentences, few paragraphs, how would you recap your 2021 season? Um, I would recap it as a, a good kind of solid, solid kind of stepping foundation or stepstone foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I kind of, I'm actually, I'm looking at my, I started this year kind of statting every single tournament round I played. Yes. Welcome played. to the club. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking just never really kind of looked too much at the tournament by tournament, but like it, yeah. mostly like after, like, you know, we'll say after 20 tournaments, like I'll kind of stop or I did this year after, after 21 or 20 tournaments, I stopped, I kind of looked where I was, um, and I, and kind of assessed, but it, I didn't have, I think from, from my tournament in March all the way th- through my just all the way through the rest of the whole year through my last tournament in November golf week at Vanderbilt legends. I did not have a round in the eighties, which is good. No, you never, it's not like it's, I'm trying to, my goal is to break 80 every time, but like, you know, as a golfer and you play a lot of rounds, you just know that it's right. You're going to have, you're going to have bad rounds. And then if I can, I was happy to, cause when I, I had bad rounds, obviously, but I kept, I did a good job of keeping my bad rounds in check. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, it was, it was good. Like there's, especially from looking at 2020 comparing to 2021, um, there were many rounds, like, of course, you know, the bad rounds you have, like it kind of started off on a, on a similar path. And I think I did a better job in 2021 of not letting those rounds take off where I, I was able to kind of keep weather the storm a little bit, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? And, and keep it or my putting helped me out or, or I started just kind of playing hitting, hitting greens and just putting it to 20 feet or just, I, I, st- I was able to really kind of get on a good, a good streak when I was starting off bad and then weather those, those rounds instead of like eighties to maybe like, you know, 77 or yeah. 70. And so I had, I was happy to see that, um, for my bad rounds. And also I had, um, I had some good rounds too. Like I think one of my best, I had a good streak over kind of beginning of the summer. Um, I did a, an AJGA in hot springs, Arkansas. I shot, I started out with like, I think I was 43 on the front nine at the first day. Um, and I shot 78 that round. Wow. Um, then I shot 
70 the next round and 73 the the, the round after that. So, and that was yeah. kind of good, especially from like a 43 on the first nine, um, which was, and then able to, to come back from that um, was great. Um, yeah. And then after, right after that, I had the the Tennessee Junior PGA Championship at, um, uh, and I shot 67, 71 there. And that got me, that got me a four under for the tournament total. And they also got me a, because I finished second, um, it got me a invite to the national PGA, which yeah was not on the not expected or I wasn't I never really kind of considered it much. I just right. Um of course I knew it happened, but I wasn't it was a great addition to the to the schedule and tournament. Um and then right after that I I um shot a 71 and this year I had to first year I actually had to qualify for the um for the uh, uh boys Tennessee junior state am mm-hmm. um so I shot 71 there and got in then I had a great um, I had a great time. I, I played fine, solid golf at the junior Ram. I think I shot 72, 71, 73. Yeah. Uh, Memphis country club, which it's great. Um, it's probably, it's gotta be one of my favorite courses I've played this summer. Um, definitely like favorite tournament I've played because Tennessee golf is, is in a great, great organization. And then the junior Ram and with all the friends there, it's tons of fun, but, but on that, that, uh, Memphis country club for anyone who's played it is a, it's like a preserved old Donald Ross course. Um, they're landlocked, so they're not changing much on distance. But you can like tell in the way that the the bunkers and the layouts designed. It, you can just tell this is a it kind of like Oakmont with the bunkers a little bit. It's a mm-hmm. Donald Ross course written all over it. Um, and so I did a good job there of just kind of playing solid golf. I, I would have liked to maybe go a little bit lower on a couple of those rounds, and I I could have. But I mean, I also on a very tight course and, and those greens, I, I think I, my game kind of held solid for three straight days um, of pressure tournament golf, but yeah. And then later in the year, I kind of, I had a 68 in the high school tournament, another 68 in the high school tournament, shot a 71 in the first round of a SNED store tournament. Um, and it's kind of stayed around mid, mid seventies, uh, mid low seventies for, and then my bad rounds high seventies for the rest of the year. So yeah. That, that's awesome. That sounds like an absolutely great season. Uh, and, you know, you started off by saying this was the first year you started fully keeping stats. And I'm a little bit overboard on numbers, but I always think, you know, for, for everybody, even if you're not into numbers, keeping, you know, even if it's just basic, you know, greens and regulation, drive and fairway, um, front nine score versus back nine score. If you keep that in your tournaments, I think most people will be able to find uh, somewhat of a pattern between their good and bad rounds. Uh, and, and finding a pattern is what allows you to, to work on it, uh, among many other things. So I think yeah. data mm-hmm. is something a lot of people take for granted. And you don't, you don't have to go overboard. Like, I'm quite a bit overboard in stats. I've had multiple people tell me that, and it just is because it's how my brain works. Uh, I'm more of a numbers data guy. And there are, more, there are plenty of people who are more of a, you know, just kind of a feel person. But I think, you know, keeping essential stats are still very important. Yeah. And I'm definitely, I'm not one of those guys that I'm definitely not a stack guy. That is just how I am. And I'm not saying it's better or worse, but exactly. I just kind of, I, I mean, I, this year, that was a good, what you said about front nine score and back nine score. I'm going to add that in for next year um, or for this next season. But this year I just kind of did strokes game, putting, chipping, wedges, irons, driver, bunker, and woods. Yeah. And kind of see, but back nine and front nine is a good, 
also a good variable too. You can see like maybe I need to be doing more endurance or because I'm my scores are dripping on the back nine. Um or maybe I'm a back nine player. Um that's kind of right. good good set to know. But yeah, I haven't even really besides that what I said that stopped 20 tournaments into the season to kind of see where I was. Um I think I had like a few days of practice or like maybe like a few days or a week of practice where I could took a vacation. I don't know. I took like a vacation or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Um for that. So it was kind of like maybe a little mini pause in the season. So I could kind of see, okay, maybe if I'm going to go practice a little bit, what's been, what's been good, what's been bad. Um, and for me, that was chipping, um, and wedges. And so I got to focus in on a little bit of that. And then my next, next few tournaments, it was a little bit better, but, yeah. um, yeah. So over your, you know, this year, you got to play in quite a few bigger events, most notably, probably, like you said, the, the national PGA championship, how, how does an event so big like that, you know, differ from your, you know, preview AJGA or even something smaller, like a, like a hurricane or a Sneds tour elite, what exactly, you know, it's just different. What's different in the atmosphere. Cause I'm sure it is pretty different. Yes. Um, this is my first, I haven't, this is my first time ever kind of doing I've done national, I've done AJGAs, I've done national events like that, but this was really a step above and just right. everything, everything from a, obviously the tournament competition, the guys there, mm-hmm. um, the it's the PGA of America. And so it's all those, it just the quality of the tournament that they're running, just like the little things and to the, the meals they provide to like every hole has to go has a cutout like with the co- exact yardage and a stand on it. And like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and like the range they're giving you their PGA of America preview one balls. Um, right. And, and yeah, the competition there. And then of course, when you have good competition, you have incredible college coaches there too. Right. And so, and so I was paired of a, I had a great pairing um, with two guys, one of the guys, Max Herendine. Um, he, he played really well. And so, and the other guy too, like a, he was a 2024 from California, Adam Anderson, and we had a great pairing. And so we had, we had a bunch and it just kind of the practice with all the different coaches that were following our group. Um, and so none of really coaches that, I mean, some of them I, I've been in conversation with, but also new ones too, because you're getting, you're getting a bunch of, a bunch of new coaches to migrate over for these tournaments. And so kind of practicing a, yeah, you have the pressure of the tournament you've been practicing for and, and the event and then you have like all these people watching you and you know what your mind tells like you don't you think of it you're like yeah you really don't care about what they think at all but at the same time you want to impress whoever's watching um and just that's kind of like our instincts whether it's like a yeah uh whether it's a family member or or someone who knows a lot about the game like a college coach um and so it's, it's always good um and then uh, i think we were playing around a little over seven thousand yards and this is a kentucky all bent grass, um, yeah. bent rough, kind of hilly, windy t- style course, um, bent greens, big, and it was a good, good practice for me. I, I think I shot pulling it up here. I shot 75, 74 there, which it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I mean, it was solid golf. I, I missed the, I, bur- I went, um, I made like a 20 foot part on the second day coming in on the last three holes. I made like a 20 foot par putt on 16, like a 20 foot birdie putt on 17 and like a 15 foot birdie putt on 18. And I thought that was going to be enough for me to make the cut, but I uh, missed it right on the number. But um, I remember walking away from that. Yeah. I I, looking, I can, I can go through a bunch of missed opportunities there in that round, but, 
but considering, and yeah, I would like to make the cut, um, and have the experience of two extra days, but considering, um, just, you know, the, the level of competition and I, and the course and the conditions, I remember the second day, it might've been like a seven, eight hour round. Um, and yeah. at the end, my, sh- my wow. shoes were just absolutely dripped and or soaked in uh, water. But I think considering kind of all that, all that new or different or kind of elevated levels of pressure that, um, that I haven't experienced a lot at a tournament like that, I felt my game kind of held up, you know, it held, it held true to itself mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, where I kept my characteristics, like it kind of felt, I played very similar to how I've played before, which is good, especially if you're, if you're in a different environment, you're not in like a snow store, I'm not in a local tournament and it's far different from that. So it's good to see, um, I can do that, especially, especially going into a uh, college golf when it's going to be a different environment too. Yeah. Well, and, and definitely, you know, after a tournament like that, which I think it was in June this year, is that correct? Um, it, I think it July, was, June, July, somewhere it, around there. Yeah. Uh, you know, after, I think after being at an event like that, you know, coming back and playing your other events, you know, be it local or high school, they had to feel, you know, it, it's almost right. You know, when you're, you're weight training or you're training for anything, you push yourself really hard. So the actual thing seems easier. So it, it had to have felt a lot easier, you know, well, not easier because golf isn't easy, but you know, at your local events felt different, almost like you had a little bit more confidence probably. Um, I, I can definitely, I see that a little bit. Um, but it definitely kind of held like my first high school tournament. I shot a 68 this year and yeah. that was after that was after the junior PGA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that whole kind of July stretch, I went, I went junior am for three days in a row. Then I think I took a day break and then I drove to Kentucky and I had two practice rounds for the uh, boys PGA. And I played that. Um, and that was kind of a, that was a really busy, um, busy week. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of, and they, I already had three kind of pretty solid rounds of golf at the junior Ram and then the, to go do, do that, um, at the PGA, uh, this you could kind of, I mean, it over, I can, you can honestly see like with college golf too, or, um, and especially with like the pro stretches that can, that kind of help my, my playing and my mental endurance for to kind of have that many tournaments in a, in a row and, and changes and, and different types of pressure that was, uh, that helped me for, I mean, if I can do that, then, you know, a two day sense tour elite, like you said, doesn't, I mean, I still feel pressure every, every time I tee it up. Not, of course. I realize, yeah. Cause pressure is not from, I don't get pressure from anyone else, but me. It's like, I get the pressure I feel is like, cause I care. I love the game, which is how it care, should be. And I care about it. And like, I want to play well. So there's pressure. Cause like, I, I know what matters to me, not to anyone else. And so there's always like, whether it's a, a high school round or at, at a public course nearby or like, you know, a big tournament, I still, I still have pressure, but the levels obviously can sometimes be, be a bit out of your comfort zone and a bit different. But yeah, I think, I think it's just mostly it's not pressure goes away. Like, like weight training, like because when you're doing weight training, the weight's always there. Cause like pressure's right. always there. It's mostly, it's prepping yourself how to handle it. Yeah. Um, and so that was a good experience for me, how to handle it. Um, especially come again when I hopefully, you know, qualify for a, like a USGA, like a junior or a, or a USAM or a yeah. blaze or something, something like that. You know what I mean? Like where you're yeah. just with different groups of people and, and, and you, you know, the, you, the people running the tournaments, you're not friends with really. Like, you know, you don't see Rob Sherry running around <laughs> in a golf cart. Um, but yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
so, you know, you got to play with those incredible people. You know, I'm, I know I'm sticking on this junior PGA. This will be the last question. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, you got to play with, I think you had to be top two in all the different PGA sections to, to get there. So you're obviously playing with some of the best of the best. You know, are, when you played with those people or, and saw those people in the practice rounds, was there anything you noticed that they did mm-hmm. that you could kind of tell they did differently from, you know, a good junior golfer. So something different from a, a really good junior golfer to, you know, an elite exceptional junior golfer. Is there any one or two things you noticed? Um, that, that's a good question. Um, thinking, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I guess, yeah, the, the level of competition was really good. And I think when you looking around the practice round and the range and the putting green, I think there's just definitely a level what that's different from like a maybe like a more kind of beginner junior tournament is I think everybody, everybody there kind of, they, they know what they're doing. Like they know like what they're supposed to be doing. Like they're like, okay, I need to do this putting journey today. Like they're very aware of, of their own game and kind of what they need to be working on. And they're kind of focused on that. And like, you know, they, they don't show up to the course and kind of wonder and like what, what they're supposed to do. Like they have a, they have a goal and they're, in their mind each day they get or in the two practice rounds I played people, people have an agenda. Um, yeah. the range was, was full almost every time I was there putting green holes to taken up guys doing drills. Um, and practice rounds guys, um, practice rounds are very hard to, to, um, uh, you definitely know this. They're very hard to kind of stay mentally focused the whole time. And so yeah. I've, I've kind of, I've realized that and I've just, not tried to i mean you you'll focus where you need to but you you cannot be thinking if you're thinking about the whole the tournament of the day or the, the actual rounds that are to come the whole time on each hole i think i feel like you're just kind of blowing up your your mental energy there okay. I mean, you, you know you focus to make notes where you need to you um you see where the pin locations are going to be i draw a little dot where they are I, I put where i want my ball to be so i can have the best putt of it or have the safest have the best chance of making a birdie putt there and, and I'm getting my numbers and my notes and they gave us a great, a great yardage book there that helped. But yeah, you're doing that when you need to, but I try to at least, and we all, what I all noticed too, is a lot of guys there kind of try to at least take their mind off in between shots in the practice round. And then, yeah. you know, after the practice round, they'll go, go put a stick down on the range and they'll go and work on a little thing on their swing or do some eye line on the punting green, just like, just like I did. Right. Yeah. Well, and definitely with the practice round, you know, something um, Virgil told me last year, because uh, last year was the first year I kind of started playing some practice rounds for some events. And this year, basically every event I'm playing, I'm going to have a practice round for. But it's hit so many different types of shots from different areas that it's impossible to keep score. Because if oh, you yeah, do not act, keep score in a practice, if round. you actually keep score during a practice round, while there is potential for you to shoot a really good round and then add confidence there's a much higher chance that you don't shoot around that you you want to. And either that will either cause you to not have confidence in your ability to shoot a good round the next day, which is totally false. It's you put, you put made up, on yourself already. It's, it's made up in our head because, you know, this week with JT at uh, Kapalua or however you say the course name, <laughs> yeah. you know, he was dead 61. last after um first round dead last and now mm-hmm. and he shot the course record i mean golf is such a day-to-day thing so you know keeping a practice or 
not keeping score during a practice round is important, but also, you know, hitting so many different types of shots that it's almost like you really can't keep a score because if you hit that many shots, that means, you know, for the most part, you, you understand, you know, okay, into this green, it's probably best I hit a, a cut or a draw or I keep it low or, or whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, and that makes sense. Um, and that's definitely brings up a point where like most do not definitely don't keep score in a practice round. And like, I, I noticed most of the guys there were not, we're not keeping score. Like I don't even think I finished a hole in the practice round. Really. I mean, I might've finished one hole with yeah. my, with my first tee ball. Um, and like, I've never also understood too, when like you see a dot for the hole the next day, like, I don't understand like putting your ball five feet out from that and like hitting to it. Like you're not going to, yeah, I don't it. get it either. I'm not going to remember why like, people do that. It's a right edge putt from this exact spot. Like in the odds, you know, I, I'm more focused on, if I'm seeing a course for the first time, I'm trying to get the speed down. Mm-hmm. Really. I'm trying to like, I'm throwing it 20 feet away and, and just tr- kind of trying to pick out a spot and do, do little putts here and there around the green when I can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely don't try to hit like these different spots for the next day. Cause that's what you practice for really. Like in your, on your home course, you practice for those shots. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're good enough for them, then if you get them in a tournament, it doesn't matter what course you're at, you should still be able to hit that same, you know, example, like high flop shot. It doesn't matter. You don't need to practice it directly on every hole and a practice. Mm-hmm. Round. If you know how to do it, I mean, you can practice it a little bit if it's a different type of rough or something um, on that course, but if you know how to do it, you know how to do it. Yep. It brings a quote to my mind. I can't, I cannot tell you who originally said it, but it's, you don't rise to the level of your ability. You fall to the level of your training. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that's a very true statement. So Wrapping up this first section, going over your 2021 season, you know, last season, season two of the podcast, uh, we kind of talked about a few of your goals going into 2021. Uh, what a goal, what goals did you, were you able to achieve this year and which ones did you not quite get, but, um, you know, have a plan to get them over the next couple of months? Um, I'm trying to think exactly what my goals, my goals were. I've never really been, I think I'm in the minority here. When I say, when I say this, I've never been a, I don't like basing my goals off, off placement or oh, I wouldn't 100% off, agree off with like that. finishing, like anything that has to do with other people as a variable. Like I don't, I don't want to base my goals off, like whether yep. it's ranking, yep. whether it's, whether it's top tens or wins or, or finishes at tournaments like that, that's bad, but you know, scoring average that has nothing else to do. That has nothing to do with anybody else. Or, mm-hmm. um, I mean, uh, yeah. And so I, obviously one of my main goals was just ever since I've fallen in love with the game and I've always wanted just for myself was I've always wanted to play college golf. And then, right. And that as, as you don't, you don't play each tournament for that, but you, you know, you know, it's in your head, you know, that you have coaches watching either from a computer or either from directly behind you. I mean, I'm not playing for them, but at the same time, like I know it's just part of it. You just have to know that your score is being watched. And then, um, and that, that was a, I achieved that this year, but which I'm happy about, but at the same time, you know, that's not a, wasn't that's has stuff to do with other people. But I think, like I said, I had a good solid, solid summer, mostly with ball striking. And that was a, a good personal, you know, not affected by other people goal. Um, because I was working on something all throughout kind of, uh, late 2020, 20, early 2021 with my coach, uh, swing, just trying to get the swing, swing movement down. And it took, it took a good bit because I never, I didn't really understand the movement. And I was just trying to get it to a place where 
ultimately my ball striking and my swing would hold up for like long periods of tournaments in time. Um, mm -hmm. Like where before it may be good and I'd work for it and it would hold up for like a, a week or two. But then after that, it would, it would be like, I'm, I'm a different striker of the ball. Um, yep. I wouldn't hit it as well. And so I saw, I saw a great improvement with that this year where I was, my ball striking kind of, of course it has its, its peaks and valleys, but those peaks and valleys weren't the frequent or the um, frequency was not as, not as high of a peak or low of a valley. It was very, it stayed close to, to the to consistency there where yeah. I didn't, I never really had any super big changes in ball striking and it kind of, it held through for, for many tournaments in a row. And so that, that helped me a lot um, to find, like I said, like that consistency um, and kind of averages of my scores over, over many, many tournaments. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was kind of my big, with my coach kind of my big playing goal. And I, I would say I achieved that. Yeah. Where I, I got a huge step um, towards it. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with what you originally said with creating, you know, outcome based goals. I, I talked with uh, uh, Lucas in the last episode that was, was the last episode of season two, we talked about goal setting and, you know, outcome versus uh, process based goals and outcome goals are really bad be well they're not really bad you want you don't want many of them because you can't control what happens you can't control golf is one of the only sports where you cannot directly influence your competitor's performance yeah you know unless you're like an absolutely terrible person to play golf with you cannot yeah. influence you, you know you can't tackle them you can't block them out you know there's so you know setting more performance or process based goals you know, like I'm going to hit 500 putts a day or 250 putts a day, or I'm going to, you know, um, improve my greens and regulation by X amount or whatever, where it doesn't involve other people or weather conditions, or you try and take as many outside variables out because the, the good thing about that is it allows you to create the goals, but it also allows you to achieve the goals. And the only thing preventing you from achieving the goals is yourself. You know, yes, that's, that, that's that very, it, it eliminates the excuses, right? Which, you know, we're all guilty of it as athletes blaming something on something, right? Oh, yeah, I didn't I hit it good today because X or, and, and you know, I think um, excuses are, are something that need to be eliminated as much as possible. Yeah, I was, I think it was Rory um, beginning of last year. He had, a, he had a great press conference at the 20, at the players, um, 2021 players. And then I think, and part of what he talked about, because he was talking about kind of his ups and downs and his inconsistency of, um, or not to the place where he's wanted. I mean, he's Rory, he's a great golfer, but his goals um, where he's wanted it to be were not where he, or he was not where he, mm -hmm. where he was trying to be. But, um, and yeah, he said like, you know, golf's one of the only sports, like, you know, in tennis, if you know your opponent has a, has a bad backhand, you, you hit it to him um, every right. time. Or, or like, you know, in football, if they have a, if they have, the other team has a strong, strong running game, like, like when you see Titans of Derrick Henry, you want to pack the, you try to pack the defensive line of the other team. Like you, you know, what you do doesn't directly affect the other players in golf. And like, if you know someone struggles with, with hitting, turning the ball from right to left, you can't just go set up a bunch of dog leg right courses. Yeah. I mean, a dog leg, <laughs> dog leg left courses. Um, and so it's definitely, it's just such an interesting sport. And that's why, you know, it makes it one of the, in my opinion, the best, best sport there is just because it's, it's you. And then the course, and then there's like, there's so many different ways to get the ball in the hole. Um, 
they're you know they're I, you know jacob garland from from sned store he like he just plays a huge draw um like every like I, I don't think i've ever seen him hit a cut but he's an <laughs> incredible player yeah um great player and he and he's and he shot he's going and playing like a dayton or some dayton in ohio um college golf and he's done many great accomplishments um just like there's so many different ways to to do it yep and you're so right on that yeah so i think we could go on and on about your 2021 season talk about goals for about six hours but we're not gonna <laughs> yeah. bore everybody with that so we're gonna move on to uh your your college recruitment process um you know we again mentioned it at the beginning you signed congratulations uh as far as college recruitment you know you and i had a, a conversation a few weeks back about really it's personal selling you know when you break it down you are selling yourself your personality your abilities your drive you're selling that to the the golf program um whichever one it may be uh so bo when did you really start that process for yourself um i thinking back i kind of started initially that that process um the summer going into my sophomore year and that okay. was after that was after i've gotten i got some good results um i had some encouraging some encouraging under par rounds a couple tournament um solid playings um and just some good results that are worthy of of college golf and, and the schools i was looking for um and so i started i that's when I kind of started that process. Okay. After, you know, after your experience, when would you recommend people start? Would it be then, you know, right after your freshman year? Um, yeah, I think it's all like, if I didn't really have any, have any scores to, to show, um, really, I, I might've waited. I think it's okay. Like, if you're a, if you're a, um, freshman golfer and, or you finish your freshman year or whatever, and or eighth grade year, and you've had some and you've had some good tournament rounds that that you know match up to the standards that are at least on track for for what um, the colleges you're hoping to be are, are looking for. I think yeah, it can't hurt to at least reach out and like something I've always, I mean I, I knew it, but especially looking back, like it, there's you're basically you got to think like you're already at a no with these programs and you're just trying to convince them and say so that you have nothing mm -hmm. to lose. You have nothing to lose, absolutely nothing to lose from sending an email to whatever school you want. Um, I mean, you're still, whether they, whether they say no or not, you're still in the same position as if you were before sending the email or not, right. Or making the call to them. Um, and so that's very important. And also like, yeah, uh, I think it's very, if you have, if you have scores that you think are on track or for the colleges you're looking for, and they, those colleges can be different for, for each person, um, uh, at least the, the qual or the standard or the division, right. then yeah, it's never never too early to at least get on, put your name in front of them. Yeah. So when you started, of course, everybody has their dream colleges, you know, your three or five, you can name that you really want to go to, but, you know, I think you would agree that targeting only three or five colleges at the start is kind of, it's not the smartest thing to do. Uh, no, no, I think not, you need to start with quite a wide variety. So how many colleges, you know, when you started, did you really start targeting? Was it, 20 was it 10 was it 50 um i i would say probably around and this is and looking back this is probably too little as well um 15 20 i started okay. kind of and it, you definitely i had one but i can not reinstate it or loud enough is you have to have just such an 
such an open mind. Like there's, I just know so many people are um, like freshman year. They're like, yeah, I want to go to this school and, and play college golf. Like they only reach out to like, you know, SEC schools or like, right. Or eights or like, you know, these, these five schools. And there's a, I mean, that might work out for them, but at the same time, like there's just so much time and so much happens. And there's so many other players in the country where like, just, or like, you know, COVID can happen stuff like that. There's so many variables that like you, the chances or the odds of from start to finish that working out, it's, it's very, no matter what college it is, it's very small and it's, and it's very risky to put your eggs kind of all in that one basket um, with a college. Yeah. Um, even like, even if you want, if you college you never even heard it before um, or can't really think, see yourself going there now, it doesn't hurt to at least get on their radar. If you think you have any interest of playing there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, for people who, you know, are not very far along, you know, maybe eighth grade to sophomore ish and their scores are on track to be, uh, you know, um, compatible with a, a D1 school. Would you still target all D1 schools or would you vary up and throw some D2, some D3? Uh, would you vary it up? Um, yeah, I think as open of a mind, as very, as varied of school as possible. Um, and I think if you're saying like eighth grade, ninth grade, um, like even seventh grade, if your scores are on track, I think, I mean, you can't even, you can't have a phone call and begin the real process of coach till after, till the summer before your junior year or June 15th to be exact, um, is the first time they can actually like send you something. That's not a camp invite or a, a packet in the mail from the school. Um, and by the way, there's a, side note there's a huge difference between like an invite from a school and a camp or in like a a packet from the golf team about the school in the mail to your house and like an actual offer like there's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah <laughs> there's a huge yeah there's a there is still a huge difference like they're sending you gotta realize like they're sending that i mean it's it's great if you're getting that and it means that there's potential but they're sending they're also they're recruiting like you are they they're hedging their bets too and they're mm-hmm. um and they're doing and with probably like 25 other kids they're sending that too and so it's it's a good sign but i remember like getting packets from like these great schools i was i was um reaching out to in the mail for like um with big packets in the mail from them from them and like thinking like oh this is great and like my mind i was like this could really work out and then when you realize down the road like yeah there's a, they're doing this to a lot of other people too and yeah it's a good sign, but at the same time, don't, don't, um, think cause you're getting this from this school means you need to stop reaching out to these, um, schools that you were just doing to, to hedge your bets. Right. Well, I definitely think you brought something up with those, you know, recruitment camps, you know, you see those absolutely all over the place. Do you really, did you ever go to any of them? Do you see them as something people should do or more of, you know, just a, a tool in the college's arsenal that really is kind of, indifferent in terms of things mm, i i went to one recruiting camp okay and i i would say i say it helped um i i think if you're if you're if you kind of been in in before you they're able to talk to you kind of like email kind of passive communication or as much mm-hmm. as they're able to do right um and you can kind of you get the sense that they're interested in, in you at least and you get an invite from for one of their camp and and you're not and you're in town or you're not doing anything that weekend and you can maybe drive or fly to it easily. I think it's definitely, if you really like the school um, or whether even or not to, um, to go, to go to that camp. Cause the one I went to is like an only, I know there's some camps, like it's like a full on like kids and 
like a full on kids and teenager camp, but this one was mm-hmm. just for recruits. Um, and so I was like, I think there were like eight, nine, 10 guys there and they were all guys they were interested in from younger classes. And it was good because they got to, because there they're allowed, you're actually allowed to talk to the coaches and you can see the facility and they can see you play. And also it just gets, they, they kind of lock a personality to the name. Um, it's not just a name in front of an email. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if you're in the process where you kind of, you get interest on both sides there, um, it's worth it to go to a camp. Okay. So you would go, but you wouldn't, you know, schedule your summer with 15 camps. No, no, gosh, okay. no. It's, it's, <laughs> scores matter way more than appearance at camp. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, uh, as you mentioned for, I think it, I think it's just D one and D two schools. You'll want to, I'm not sure if it's D three schools as well, but you can't, you know, actively call a college coach or, and they cannot reply to you, you know, or it, if they can, it's in a very limited way until yes. June 15th after your sophomore year. Yes, that's, so, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, out of, since, you know, that really limits your options. What do you really start by doing? You know, everybody's mind goes to email. Is there anything else to do in that time period? Um, so I, uh, yeah, kind of in this time period, especially with, um, with COVID and I think right when I was a freshman or sophomore, they changed they changed it to that new rule you just said we're June 15th after your sophomore year mm-hmm. before that, it was like the wild west of recruiting. You're getting kids locked up eighth grade freshman year yeah. to go to Stanford and Texas. And, mm-hmm. and not even the schools, the schools didn't really even want that too. They were just, they were just doing that out of afraid because these good kids would get locked up early. Right. Um, and so it was, it was crazy, but, um, but because of all the changes, I kind of got advice for advice for a little bit of this process. Um, about kind of how to handle all these changes in the process from a guy named Nikki Getz. He's, I would recommend them to anybody, anybody that wants, that wants some advice who keeps kind of struggling with interpreting it on their own. Um, it's his last name's G O E T Z um, E I think um, Nikki Getz, but, but yeah, I think uh, you can do, you can do um, besides emails, you can kind of do some swing videos, which I made of my own um, for a coach that at least hasn't seen you play like to the coaches that I was in contact with who've, not made it up to a tournament yet. I made mm-hmm. kind of very basic. They don't need to be a Hollywood production um, <laughs> swing. Just one and a half minute long swing video from like you know I show an eight iron, a four iron, uh, a wedge shot, a driver, a putter, and a bunker shot. Or you know what I mean. And just yeah. like from, from down the line and in front view, uh, and that was it. And just kind of edit it together and and you know. Uh, and that's kind of a good way for, to, um, especially if you have a good ball striking and a good swing for them to kind of, you know, see, Hey, this guy's, this guy looks the part a little bit, or he has, has a good move on the ball. But, um, but yeah, I think there's not really, it's kind of hard to say, but it's not really much you can, you can do really But before, before that June, before that June 15th, you can go to camps. Um, if there's, like I said, there's mutual interest, you can send the videos, but it's just kind of a, it's kind of an email and wait game and you have to kind of see, I remember, I remember June 15th still, you're going to have to see how much is, is legit. You know, that's kind of when you first see how, how much interest you actually have um, or at that moment. Yeah. So, you know, recently uh, there've been a lot of things coming up and if you're a junior golfer, I'm sure you get tons, tons of ads about it as much as I do, but you know, there are these different platforms that claim, to help you with the recruiting process. 
Did you use any of those? You know, you mentioned this consultant, but you know, I'm talking about, you know, there are these different platforms that go along with um, the no. consultation. Did you use any of them at all? Um, I did not. I know what you're talking about. Like there's junior golf hub. That's one of them. Um, there's a few others as well that yeah, I get ads for. Especially like talking, talking to, um, getting, talking to guys who know what they're doing in the process and also like talking to coaches. I don't think those are, you need to spend much time on those at all. Um, I think, I mean, I think probably the biggest, biggest one is junior golf scoreboard. And that's, and that's only like an indicator too. Yeah. Um, and they, they're not going to like see some kid cause like I've, I've honestly stopped looking at junior golf scoreboard too. Like, like the conversation we talked about earlier of, of comparing, um, mm-hmm. yourself to others, um, score wise and placement, but, um, but like, they're not, they're not going to take some kid who's like, Oh, this kid's ranked you know, 87 in, in this class, we're going to take them over the guy that's ranked 94. You know what I mean? Like it's a good, like, and if you play well, you're, you're, if you play well, you're going to, it's going to settle well, no matter what, like it's, it's only like a good indicator. And that's kind of like the only place I think coaches look to, to kind of see guys that they're interested in too. But I don't think any, any of those platforms like junior golf hub really are worth your time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, good piece of advice. And it might be different for other people too, you know, depending on where you I mean, fall. They're, they're good. They're good. Actually. I remember junior golf has a good, has a good, um, uh, thing where you can like see that, you know, like it's good for, it's great for research of teams. Like you can mm-hmm. see their, this team's average score, like where the fifth player shoots or whatever. Like, and that was good for me to see. Cause you can go find, find teams and you can find their, their emails and phone numbers and stuff. But I think like, I remember junior golf have had this thing, where like if you follow a school, they can they can see that you follow it and stuff like that. I don't think any of that really really matters. Yeah. So you know, again, we mentioned this June fifteenth, and you said we're sending emails and videos before then. You know, when that June fifteenth date came, how did you go about you know changing the conversation from the emails to more of a phone call and maybe potentially in person, uh, you know experiences you know um, was it just did you just call them after that date did you send them an email how did that uh process morph so i actually i waited so i let june 15th i let the i kind of waited to see all the all the um stuff that i got and i think on that date those those coaches are i think they're they're blocking out those those few days and that's yeah. kind of they're they're calling they're emailing they're doing all that they're texting all that stuff and so i kind of let i didn't really make any phone calls. Um, after that, I kind of, I've done my part of emailing and, and I just kind of saw what came my way. And then I had the calls of the coaches that wanted to call me and stuff like that. And then, um, those conversations were, you know, there's not much transition there. It's just kind of, you know, they're able to talk to you now and they're able to kind of build a relationship, um, with you and you're able to kind of ask about the school. And then, and if it's really, really serious, they, um, they at least have watched you play it or will watch you play soon. And then they'll come and they'll want you to go on a visit. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of like a whole, the, um, kind of that whole process kind of, it shifts from, like you said, email to like, okay, now we can have conversations and we can start moving along the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I kind of waited. I waited a little bit to um, start. I don't think I really ever made cold calls to coaches. Okay. Um I, I was always, even after June 15th, and if I was still had a school I wanted to reach out to, I, it was an email first. And then if it was, if there was interest, then we would set up a call from that email. Okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, for the most part, that's 
I, of course, I don't have any experience, but that sounds to me probably like the best thing to do, you know, coming from somebody who has tried actual cold calling with literal businesses, like, you know, real world, not selling me, but selling a service. You know, it's always better if you can get a, a mutual interest before that call takes place. It's better for both. both yeah. Parties. And I think like the, the closest you can get to a cold call is like if you're on an email or something like that and like the coach maybe replies and like he doesn't mention a call, like don't be afraid to to like say, hey, you want to hop on a call? Like it can only, yeah. it can only help you. And that's definitely something I've um, I've realized after going through the whole process, like don't be you don't want to be subtle or like kind of pretend like you're in a poker game with these coaches. Like if you, if you want to play there, just at least show them how much you want to play at the school. Right. Like don't, don't try to like play it, play it cool. Like you have all these different offers coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like it's really, and they, they want to see that you want to go to the school too. Um, and it really, it just helps to show it just to really show that, you know, Hey coach, I really want to play for you. How can, can I have a call? Can don't be, don't be subtle at all. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned you started with 15 to 20 different colleges on your list. Uh, did you ever knock any colleges off the list? And if so, you know, what what led you to do so? Um, if I kind of started doing that after June 15th, um, okay. I would I was send a bunch of emails and and I kind of knew when, if some schools weren't replying to those emails because, you know, you know, they're probably reading them, especially if you sent like three emails. Yeah. Um, and. Well, I got a hand a lot of schools kind of, you know, with that, with that, like, you know, reply of you can, we can't talk to you until June 15th. Um, um, you can come you visit on your own or, or do all that stuff. It's kind of like an automated yep. reply that, that they're required to send, but they reply or like fill out this questionnaire. It, it will show, it just shows that like, Hey, we, we see the email and we're, we're interested a little bit. Um, but if I wasn't getting that from a school after several emails and if they didn't reach out on June 15th, I kind of ruled them off. Um, all right. Maybe I sent like one more email and then that was it. But, um, any school, yeah. Any school that was after several, that was in communication. You never, you never want to roll off. Um, and like, yeah. Um, just only if, if you sent many and you can just obviously tell that they're, they're not, um, that they're, they're just not interested. Right. And I mean, maybe you can, it's, it's honestly good to have that um, connection too, because you never know you can go, you can go have an incredible second half of your summer um, that summer going into junior year. And if you've been reaching out before or you have like an incredible tournament, maybe you can reach out with like a, another email and say, Hey, I had this great tournament um, or these great two tournaments. And then that might get, you know what I mean? Um, might get them interested. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, target them, never fully rule them out, but at the same point in time, if they're not giving you anything, don't, don't really waste your time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on, college coach websites you know i've visited so many of them first off they're absolutely terrible and need to be <laughs> redone and, and they, they all look the same they're like three different versions and then they all look the same but besides that you know they almost all of them have both a head coach and an assistant coach and sometimes more than that did you target just the head coach or both the head coach and the assistant coach um when i sent emails i sent them to both coaches okay yeah did you uh, did you notice any you know more replies or more information from either of the coaches or were they about even? Um, they're about even. Um, okay. I think kind of the assistant coach's job most of the times is is kind of early stage of recruiting, um, mm. and then like several of the first call the first calls I had with coaches were with the assistant, 
and then if it bumps, it's kind of like those are their their guys like in the pool that they're they want to recruit. And then if it gets like to the final or like very serious to a visit or or a offer type of conversation, then that's kind of where you go to the head coach. Or okay. you know I mean? it's kind of it kind of or there's some head coaches that first call was with um some you know there's different philosophies for each school. But yeah, I think most and mostly it's the assistant coach's kind of job to um, handle the initial recruiting. Yeah. So uh, from, at, least, at least for most schools, from what I've noticed, it doesn't mean that's right or not. Um, and that doesn't mean that the school, another school that you reach out to, it's going to have that. So, but well, yeah, it was kind of even on the email replies too. And some schools, it's really interesting on their website because some of them have both phone number and email for both coaches. Some of them only have the email for the assistant coach and they have the phone number and email for the head coach. And some of them, you know, only provide information for uh, the, the assistant coach or the head coach. So yeah, that that's I think that's um on purpose mostly too because like if the only the assistant coach emails on there, then it's probably like a key that mm-hmm. he handles he handles it. Yeah, um, yeah. So when did college coaches really you know start coming to watch you at different tournaments and how how did you handle those experiences? Um, I, I think kind of uh, when I started reaching out was because when I had some good good scores to show. Um, so I, I know good scores are, um, subjective. Oh yeah. Or scores, scores, um, scores for the school's trajectory that they're looking for. Like that could be different okay. from, one of the, from yeah. this, this school or another score, maybe a D one or D three school. There's different kind of trajectories they're looking for. Right. Um, and so I think it was kind of freshman year when I started, um, seeing, having coaches kind of follow our groups a little bit or kind of take note of, um, of my playing. So I was on that trajectory that they, you know, that they're looking for to at least keep kind of like, you know, put a little red flag next to your name, kind of mm-hmm. have, see him play, you know, make sure he's, make sure he's not throwing the club all over the place when he plays, um, yeah. and missing and stuff. And then, um, going in like a sophomore year or some, as I kind of started reaching out more, more coaches kind of started watching, um, cause, cause I kind of, I had a great sophomore summer, um, at least to my, to my standards. And uh, it was put me on a good path for, especially the trajectory that they, um, the coaches I was, um, reaching out to were looking for. And so I had, um, that's when I kind of started getting followed. But I think when I, um, when I first kind of had coaches watch, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a kind of a shock to the system. It, and you, even with like a school, you don't, you're not really interested in or, or you haven't reached out to it's still it's I think it's the factor of like someone who knows what they're what they're doing and like no and like you can just tell someone's you just know someone's judging you right now based mm-hmm. on how you play and, and and how you act and stuff like that and then it just kind of gets you thinking a little bit um and so and that's kind of it's really kind of got to come from experience too um you can, there's some tips that can help of just um it's easier said than done but just play your game and then know that if you're a good player and and you're a good person that the right college if will come to you or you don't want to go to a college that if a college rules you off for you being yourself um and playing yep. your game then you don't want to go you don't want to go there anyway yeah and so exactly it's, it's it's hard it's it's like i said it's very hard to to say this right now and um but that's kind of the thing i would say and um also know like you know they're people too um they're not like they're not like um crazy um guys that 
you know, with a clipboard that are judging you, you know, they have families, they have, yeah, you know, they're not that different than your dad or, you know what I mean? Um, right. or, or your mom. And, and so you need to know like, yeah, they're, they probably don't want to be there too, watching at a, at a, on, on a June day and a kind of a random course. Um, and so just yeah, to know that they're, they're not different people or, or kind of hard to talk to. They're nice and personable people and be, be yourself. Cause you want the college you go to, to like your game and you for yourself. Yeah. So once you, you know, you did all this coaches were coming to see you, you got through the emails, you got on a few calls. How did all that, you know, finally progress and end up at kind of the deal negotiating stage? Um, that's, that's different for, for each school, but definitely it's even like a longer, a longer process than, than I thought of, of like okay. from, from, or not longer process, but like more, I'm trying to think of it more involved from like, yeah. there's a, there's a long, it's a long place from a coach is watching you, a coach is replying to your emails, a coach is calling you to, okay, I, I have the offer. Like it's mm-hmm. a long, it's a long, um, long, definitely there's a lot more involved from that to offer. Um, because they get down to it, you have visits and then like there, there's at least with, with Georgetown, there is, um, there's like great aspects they have to wait for and scores to come back because they have a, they have like admission standards they have to do. And then mm-hmm. they have other kids too. And they had this guy, the other kid playing this event that the coach is waiting for. And there's, and there's, there definitely is, it's when you get down to like the funnel of like the hard conversations with the head coach, it, that's when it kind of takes to get there is that whole process um, from watching and calling and scores, obviously. But then when you get down to that kind of final process, it can take, at least for me in my experiences, it took, it took, um, it took a whole other kind of system. Yeah. So when did you really start that? Is that something that took like six months before you're signing a year? You know, when, when does that really begin or did begin for you? Um, well, for the school I ended up going to with Georgetown, mm-hmm. I, um, like I had, I was in good conversations with them be- beginning of 2021 um, and the head coach there. And then kind of got good mutual connection. And it seemed like I liked him. He liked me. Um, that's like January, February. And we okay. you know, in touch, you're having zoom calls with your parents and stuff like that. And, and they're watching you and they're watching your swing videos. And then you have the visit on June 10th or you have the visit right when the dead period ends in June because of COVID. And then that kind of, to get that visit is, is kind of like that kind of the end of that process of them watching you and, and, and the email and stuff like that. Cause if you get the visit, then they obviously, you know, for me, at least it was, they, they already knew I was a good player and, and um, they knew I was a guy, they weren't trying to figure out if I was capable of, of um, their standards yet. You know, it's yeah. the visit, you know, even making sure that they already kind of know that you're a type of guy that could, that they would want on the team. And then after that, you know, there's, there's other kids who are going on visits and then you're kind of in the process with against those kind of um, handful of other kids. And then it kind of gets down for me. It was like, you know, watching those kids play um, for each coach or the coaches watching those kids play and they're checking their scores. And then the whole other aspect, at least with Georgetown, which is not the same, but with many other schools in the process um, of, you know, you're having ACT scores and you're having your, junior year grades come out um, and stuff like that. And that also plays a huge factor because um, in order to get the offer, you have to have certain standards of, um, right. of stuff. And so then after that, then that's in June. And I, I didn't get my offer until from that school until um, end of July. 
Okay. Um, yeah. So not, not a, not a super quick process. Yeah. That, that, that's don't take like that timeline, um, word by word, but, um, the, the, um, but like the, the object or the story or the goal, the story there is to say like, you know, there's, there's a lot more, it's, it's a process. Um, and this, you don't just get like an offer like that from having a call a coach. It's not, it's not like that. They're going to be basically your father for four years. Um, and then they're going to be in charge of you and responsible for you for so long. They're going to make sure at least that, that you're the right guy for them. Yeah. So ultimately in the end, you know, kind of what led you to decide Georgetown was the right school for you? Um, for me, I mean, obviously, obviously, you know, it's, it's different for each person. Of um, course. Uh, I liked after my visit, I liked the, um, the school and, and the coach was, a, was a great guy to, to um, talk to him. Um, and you could tell he was a, he was a good coach too. Um, um, the facilities, the course was good in my mind and, and all that kind of checked those boxes. Um, but mostly it came down to them, like the business school and the overall quality of like the school of Georgetown for me. Cause I've always told myself, or you, you need to tell yourself, and I've gotten advice from other college golfers that like, there's, if you're at that school for four years that you got to basically make the decision, not only for golf. Like you, if you were to go there and break your, break your leg, um, like freshman right. year and you, and you don't play golf for the rest of your college career, like, would you be okay going to that school? Like, are you okay finishing your academics and, yeah. and your social life at that school? And like that, that was like the first box and like golf was like a second priority to that. So like the school needed to be a place I wanted to go first. And then if the golf team was what I wanted, then that's, that's great. Then I can go play golf there. But I never, it was always for me, school the quality and, and the and what you want in a school first um and that that narrowed all that really narrowed to um what i you know my my process of um of possible schools for me and so that made it harder um for me at least but but um that's kind of something that i've that i believe in at least um and i think it's good to follow yeah so we we've gone over you know a lot of really solid advice throughout this entire thing but if you had to find one part of the process, one part of the system that you really want to emphasize to, you know, eighth graders, freshmen, maybe even sophomores that, you know, really is good advice, what would be that one piece of advice you'd tell them? Um, yeah, I think like, obviously you can, you can focus on what I say about, about emails or you can try to find the right way to reach out and, and all that stuff, but you need to realize in the end, it's this, the coaches want the guys who are shooting the scores for them. Like, you know, it, it's not that complicated. Um, and like, you know, yeah. the top players in the country don't, don't really need to be reaching out that much. Um, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, to the schools. They, and so if you shoot the scores really like, it's kind of like business, you know, if you have a good product, it's, it should sell itself a little bit. And then yes. advertising and advertising is only like a little, just like a side thing that can help maybe get, get it in front of the, the consumer a little bit because, because right. you have to have a good product first. Like you can, you can have a great, a great um, recruiting strategy for yourself, like reaching out all that stuff. But if you don't have the scores for that school, they're just, you can be a great guy or whatever, but they're just not going to take you. Yeah. Um, and so they, you kind of, they, it's good. It's hard when you talk, when you say that out loud, but it should act as like a simplifier as all that stuff. Like when you're worried about or focusing, like, am I reaching out the right way? Am I saying the right stuff? Like, you know, it matters and all that stuff. But in the end, like, you know, scores are what matter. They, they want yeah. the guys who are going to go shoot the best scores for them. So that's, yeah. that's what I got to emphasize the most. Cause I think you can get caught up. You can get caught up in the kind of the rabbit hole of, um, 
of the strategies of recruiting. And like, you know, of course you want to make sure you're doing a good job of that, but you got to keep it simple in your mind of, of coaches want the guys who can shoot the best scores. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, a lot of really solid information on the recruiting stuff. Once again, congratulations on signing with Georgetown. Uh, Thank you. So I guess final part is recapping a little bit of junior golf, Um, you know, since, you know, you're, you're towards the end of it, which I'm sure is crazy for you to think about, but, you know, just in general, how would you recap your entire junior golf career? Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't trade. I don't know what I trade in the world for the whole pro for all that I've done in junior golf. Um, it's been such an incredible experience, not only just like from the people you meet to the friends I all have forever, the experiences and, and let alone like there's a whole other side of, of life tips that playing tournament golf teaches you. Like um, you're more in tune with, with your body, with your mind. Um, you know what, you know how to kind of get it in what place you want to. Um, you've learned complete to how to handle adversity, how to handle like a penalty that you didn't mean to do or, or playing well. And, and this happens or playing bad and this happens You just all the life stuff. That's great. But honestly, especially from a guy like me who I just, I always played it cause I love the game. Um, my, my parents never, never forced me to do any sort of tournaments. It was always cause I wanted to play golf. And I think that's first of all, the most important key of, of all of this, you gotta, it's gotta be from you only. And you and if it's gotta be a passion from you. And if you want to do it, then you should follow it. Don't do it for anybody else, but yourself. But, um, but it's just been such the people I've met that Tennessee junior golf is just an incredible, incredible state for junior golf. Um, the guys in the organization, Rob Cherry, Whit Turnbow, Trevor, um, all these, these incredible guys there, this make it feel like a family, um, from the state AMs to the Snet store elites to the junior cup. Um, and I just have so many incredible memories of, of playing with these friends who are, most of them are now in college now doing, going on to do good things. And some of them are grades below and some are going in my grade to play college with me. And I, hopefully I'll be able to see them in tournaments, but just all the memories and the lessons and the friends I've made, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah. Well, you've certainly had an exceptional junior golf career. And I think especially, you know, for me, I have to remind myself that, you know, overall, yes, you could be having a bad day or, you know, bad month who, I mean, even maybe a bad year with junior golf, but at the end of the day, you're still getting to play golf, right? Like it's still, oh, yeah. you, you still it's get the great, experiences. It's a good problem to have too. The fact know, that we're worried about how we play golf each day and then other people don't have food or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and then also golf is such it it takes so long to play around. You know, a lot of people think of that as a negative, but it really isn't because it's such a good social sport in terms of I've been able to meet so many incredible people just by playing with them. And it didn't Mm -hmm. matter if I shot 65 or 95, you know, still you get to have these good conversations with these great people. And um, it's overall. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a great, great experience. So, you know, I'm sure you've progressed an insane amount, you know, almost uncomprehendable amount from freshman year to now. You know, if I think mm-hmm. about it, four years ago, I wasn't even playing golf, or I guess I ju- had just started playing golf, right? And now I can go and play a decent round. So what would you say, you know, how did you progress from freshman year to now? What changed, whether it be golf skill, mindset, 
you know, how, how did your overall game and approach to golf progress from freshman year to where you are now? Yeah. So there's two sides to that. There's the physical and the mental physically. I kind of, I grew later than the people I'm young for my class and I grew on, I grew later. So, um, like a freshman year, I think I was, I was like 115 pounds, five foot five. Um, and I didn't really hit that far, but at the same time, I was able to compete and at a really high level of junior golf and high school golf, um, where most because my short game was, was really scrappy and good. And I found a way to, to, I would hit long irons in the greens and, and I would find a way to shoot, shoot those good scores. Um, but I kind of, my game changed a lot as, as it grew from sophomore and then from sophomore to junior year. Now I'm like 160 pounds, five foot over five foot 10, my physical, I hit it way further. And, and I'm just kind of playing in a more, I'm swinging the ball in a more mature way. And that's not necessarily like a good, most people equate that to, Oh, that's a great thing. And honestly, it, it, it took a little bit to adjust too. like your field mm-hmm. gets off. Like, um, like this past year, my short game, my chipping hasn't been where I've wanted it to be. And then it's, it's kind of a shock to me because like usually like my chipping and all that was just so incredible. Cause I wouldn't really hit many, many greens in a round. Um, and I would still find a way to, to, um, to get it, uh, to get a, a fine score. Mm-hmm. And like, and I remember actually kind of sophomore year when I was hitting it, starting to hit it farther and I was still keeping, I still kind of kept that, that, um, short game I had before, which is from that I kind of had to have to compete from when I was smaller. Like I remember like there was a round I had, I hit like seven greens in regulation and I, I shot like a 68 oh, wow. or something like that. Wow. And, so like, and it was, and like when seeing that happen, I was like, this is, this is so cool. Like, you know, there's so many different ways to do it and really having a good short game, um, can help. It can help you when you're the days that your swings off and also can, the, swings, the days that your swings on, it can really help you have a, a low round. Um, but I think, yeah, physically I've definitely grown and changed a lot. Um, and ball striking has gotten better since freshman year. Like I said, like this past year or last year, I had a good, a good step up in the ball striking and keeping it consistent, holding up for a long period of time. Um, and then like mental, mostly I think freshman year, I think of myself and I was just like so motivated into golf and, and it was really, I was, when I would go to a tournament or something or travel to a tournament, I would kind of, if I played well, I'd be happy for that day. And if I played sad, it'd be like, you know, this, if I played bad, the be like the earth's falling or the sky's falling, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I would attach my, how happy I was that day to how well I played in golf or how mm-hmm. well I scored. And so this is, it's been a kind of a long process in the making, which is I've, I did a really good job for the first time of last year, kind of putting it all into effect is, as I've learned, if you are too attached to the highs and to your rounds, you're just going to have way too many highs and lows. Um, and you're going to, you're going to be really happy when you play well. And when you play sad, you're just, or when you play bad, you're just going to be really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, it's just long-term it's not sustainable. Um, and so you have to find a, You have to find a way to realize to not attach your, you know, your happiness or how well you think of player you are to how well you play in a tournament or what ranking you have. Um, yeah. so I did a good job this year. Like if, you know, when you're with friends and stuff like that, at a tournament, whether you, it doesn't matter if you play well or bad, when the round's over, it shouldn't affect your, you know, shouldn't affect your happiness or it shouldn't affect um, anything. And so finding a way to kind of leave the round at the course um, and control what you control. And like, like I said, not valuing, like I used to only value my kind of really focus on ranking and um, a comparison to others for like goals and stuff like that. 
And I just realized that's, that's not sustainable as well. Cause um, when, you know, you're, when it goes well, you're feeling really good. But when it goes bad, you feel like, you feel like you're a really bad golfer or something like that. And like, you know, you don't need a ranking or a placement in a tournament to tell you that you're a good golfer. Like you can know where you are as a golfer by how you play and, and what you see in your own swing. You know what I mean? Not, not compared to someone else. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah. Finding mentally, I've really grown. And, and like I said, just finding a way to um, just not attach myself to, to other people or to rankings and, and, and how am I score for ha- you know, for happiness or how good of a golfer I think I am and finding a way to leave it at the course. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's some, some powerful stuff right there that is really hard to put into practice. Oh, uh, really hard to put into practice. Um, and it's still, you know, I don't think it's, it's hard to do it fully, but, um, I've, I've done a great step forward with it last year. Um, and I'm hoping to, uh, it's hard to have it perfect and I'm hoping to, to get it near it at least. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to say in mind, it's easy for me to say right now, but when you invest so much in something like golf that you love and that you practice for like almost every day after school or, or on the weekends and you don't play well and you just, you, it just, it just, it's hard. Um, and you just got to kind of find a way to kind of keep the big picture in mind. Um, when you're in that short term, short term moment and realize, you know, what you're more in a long term, not a short term. Um, yeah. for your rounds and like that's why you keep the stats you look you look at the long term you don't focus on every single tournament round um like that um, right. you're putting and stuff like that yeah maybe after 20 rounds you can see okay that, that's a trend that because 20 rounds the averages are going to fall are going to fall in place uh, right how good um your game is and like you know the better play you are the better you're going to play um right. and stuff like that and so that's that's kind of a just kind of simplifying it in your mind like that and and finding a way just to really enjoy because junior golf went it went by fast or it didn't, but at the same time I did. And I, I would do anything to have to go back to some of these tournaments and just enjoy it with friends and, you know what I mean? And just to kind of enjoy yeah. the experience, which I did, but you don't want to, you don't want to waste those times. These, all these precious few years you have of, of junior golf, um, upset or, or too happy about, about your round. Um, you know, when you go out to dinner with friends after a tournament round, um, at the hotel, you know what I mean? Or something yeah. like that. You just, you just really want to enjoy and you, and I, I did a good job this year of really enjoying my last year of a full year of junior golf. And, and that's what I'm happy I did, but man, these experiences were just great. And I do anything to, to go back and just enjoy another, whether I played good or bad, just another round with my friends in a tournament. Yeah. Well, definitely we covered a lot of absolutely incredible stuff um, from goal setting to getting recruited to junior golf tips Bo. thank you for joining me again today and, of course uh where can people find you on social media um they can find me on my instagram which is my handle is b-o-m-a-r-a-d-i-k um so on instagram and twitter i think it's the same um they can find me uh yeah and well, it, don't, don't be afraid to reach out if you have any if you have any questions if you're listening to the podcast too um yeah yeah well definitely thank you for for joining me today and uh good luck for college golf of course thank you good luck to you as well thanks for having me